Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> what if? No scripts, no cue cards. Morning, Spencer. How's it going? What if you were watched every moment of your life? How many cameras you got there in that town? 5,000. I believe Truman is the first child to have been legally adopted by a corporation. That's correct. Brilliant. Hello, I'm Karen Valley. Welcome to New Favorite Movie, the podcast where I put my movie knowledge to the test. Every week I invite a guest on to talk about their favorite movie, and based on what they pick, I suggest a movie that they've never seen. In the end, we see if my recommendation was successful. This week on the show, I'm happy to have someone who probably watched more movies in the six months we lived together than in all the years before or since. It's Dean LeBute. Dean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kieran. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, first question out of the gate, do you remember anything about the movies that we were watching back then? The movies that we were watching? Oh, my God. Um, well, if we were watching movies, they were probably past 1 a.m. because we also were staying up to <laughs> yep. ridiculous hours of the night. So I don't know. Like I'm trying to remember a few. I, you know what? I do remember actually going to a TIFF movie with you. I don't know if you remember that. About oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going with me. And God, I, it was like a James Franco movie, wasn't it? Like San Paolo or Palo Alto or something oh, like that. Yeah, yeah. Palo Alto. Um, yeah. So I remember that one. I mean, movies that we were watching in your basement. Honestly, I don't. Like when I think of your basement, I think of watching Lost yeah. is easily what comes to mind first. Yeah. But yeah. no specific movies. I don't know. What comes to your mind? Well, the one that I have down here, and it's the one of my favorite sort of movie memories is, uh, to be fair, I guess this wasn't when we were living together, but it, it does involve both of us. And so when you were living on the house at, at Lock Street, and I think you had like a Halloween party, and there was like 10 of us over, and we were all like, oh, let's watch a scary movie. And so I think we tried one movie first, and it didn't work for whatever reason. And so then we we're like, well, let's put on The Shining. And so we put on The Shining. And within yeah. about 30 minutes, every single person <laughs> in the house had fallen asleep except me. And it's like a three-hour movie. And so then I was like, well, do I stay and finish the movie or do I just quietly leave? And, you know, that's the end of the night. And I, I decided to stay and finish the movie. Yeah, I remember that. I, I think, I mean, I'm not good at staying awake in movies at the best of times. But, I mean, The Shining is a pretty slow, quiet movie and if we I, i'm sure we had a couple drinks and we were easy to fall asleep but i think it wasn't just you that was awake i think that miller was there too and oh, i remember waking up yeah. i remember waking up at one point and seeing that everyone was asleep but just seeing you st sitting upright eyes wide full attention watching the movie so i, I do remember that it's one, one of my favorite movies like of course i'm going to be full attention seen it a hundred times doesn't matter but <laughs> <laughs> i will say you you are quite brave to come on a movie podcast because for as long as I've known you we've had this sort of eternal debate about tv versus movies and you're very much a tv guy and so I'm just curious like is it because you enjoy the sort of hanging out with familiar characters like week after week is it the long form storytelling like what is it about the tv that makes you so much more readily excited or interested in checking out a tv show versus checking out a movie i think it's and it so i kind of figured you'd ask me this question because i know we've talked about this a lot but i think it is mostly that i really enjoy like the world building and the story building that comes with tv and that you can get so in depth on like how a character develops over so much more time rather than you know in two and a half hours of a movie you kind of get a snapshot of of 
the character's life in a certain place or whatever it might be, and then it's over. You know, you think of like Breaking Bad comes to mind just because I'm watching Better Call Saul right now, and you get to see this development of these characters over years and years and how they go from you know being innocent to evil to good to evil again or whatever it might be. You just get so much more progression in my mind. So I really like the story building and the world building aspect as well as the character development. I'd say is the the world building what sort of makes you because you're also a huge reader is that like one of the reasons why you constantly are going to books as well i think so i mean i i think it just is like a good escape for me like i tend to gravitate towards things that have like a good world world building piece or really good character development where you can just kind of put yourself completely in someone else's shoes or in this other world for a little bit and really get into it so it's a good point i mean i think there's that overlap between TV shows that I'm into and, you know, a lot of books that I'm into as well. When you like pick up a book or when you're browsing the aisles of the bookstore or whatever, and you see the, like the covers where it's like, you know, now a major motion picture, or like, you know, a movie is coming soon or whatever. Like, does that make you more interested to check it out eventually? Or is it sort of just like, I'm just going to enjoy the book as the book. And then if I get to the movie later, I get to the movie later, but uh, it's not necessarily drawing me or my attention. Yeah, I mean, I would say it might make me more likely to read the book, but not any more likely to see the movie. If if I see a cover that says, you know, motion picture coming, I'll, I might check out the book. But I've always been of the thought that books are always superior to the movie. And with it, with maybe a couple exceptions. But um, so like if I read the book and I like the book, then what am I really going to get out of the movie? You know, right. Like I think back to your sister's episode of talking about Harry Potter and you know, I, I would defend Harry Potter books to the death every single day over the movies. And uh, yeah, just can't go to bat for the movies. I, I think, you know, she's not on the podcast right now, but I, I think I would tend to agree the books, especially versus the movies, like there's no comparison there. So yeah. Um, but sort of getting back to TV, we, we, we kind of found some common ground here because the two movies that we will be talking about certainly do deal with television um that's kind of at the forefront of both of them Mm -hmm. so if you want to introduce the movie that you've picked and then for anyone out there who hasn't seen it if you could give a brief plot description sure yeah so i picked the truman show um as my favorite movie and i went back and forth a little bit on what i would pick because i talked to you a little bit about well what's the definition of like your favorite movie is this something that is just like the all-timer that you would put up on a pedestal? Is this something that you stop and watch every time it's on TV? And I kind of went with the latter uh, description, thinking of if I'm browsing the channels on TV and I see a movie come on, what's what's one that I will stop and watch 20 minutes? I'll watch an hour of whatever I have time for every time. And Truman Show is that for me. It's It's been a good one in my books for really as long as I can remember. And I guess the premise of Truman Show is that you have the character Truman, who is basically the center of of his own universe. So he lives in this constructed world around him, which is essentially a 24-7 reality show that's broadcasted out from when he was born all the way to when it finishes, when I guess he escapes the the show. So it's like completely fabricated, fabricated. All the characters are, you know, people in his world, but are just hired actors. And yeah, I just think it's such a clever premise for a movie it deals with that sort of like reality TV. And then when you factor in that it came a couple of years before, like the survivor boom and amazing race and all that sort of like to have the, the foresight to be ahead of the reality TV that like we now exist in, like it's 
fucking everywhere. And so like that is so impressive. And then you factor in, you know, performances and all that sort of stuff. Like the movie really has this quality of, of being so far ahead of, like ahead of its own time. Yeah. That it's, you know, it's a great, great watch. I know. Well, I mean, to think, I, I don't know what year is released in probably what, like 98, 99, something around there. I think it's 98. Cause I think actually both of these are 98 movies. Yeah. And so like, I probably saw this for the first time when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, somewhere in there. And yeah, like it holds up really well from the time, like back then to, to now, just in the sense that, yeah, like it hits the nail on the head with like so many of the like integrated advertisements that they bring out in this movie that, you know, are part of the show and everything else. It's, it's so good. Are you a reality TV show fan? I maybe like closeted, I would say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like Elise will watch Bachelor and, you know, I'm kind of the one that would be like sitting on the other couch or the other chair, like looking at my phone, but like, you know, not really looking at my phone as the right. show goes on. Yeah. It's still, so, still retaining some of the things that are happening. Yeah. Like I, I'll tolerate Bachelor. Um, we got really into a couple of the Netflix reality shows. Uh, too hot to handle being the one that comes to mind oh, okay yeah um, what, what, so what, what, the only other one i know is that is is this cake or it's not cake or something like that is oh, that, that a one. netflix one i don't know oh they they've they've really like any any ideas is out there right now so yeah it's all fair game so yeah no like the only reality that we really will have on is you know kind of the tr- trashy romantic reality will pop on every now and again and uh you know, I, I would like to say that I don't like it, but I just don't know if I can say that with a straight face. Right. <laughs> no video recording here, so we're fine. Yeah. The um, I, th- I think it's just interesting that, like, the romantic stuff, the Bachelor reality shows aside, like, they're obviously heightened for drama, and they, they you know, edit out a lot of probably the boring stuff. But there are a lot of reality shows similar to the Truman Show where it's like, we're just going to show the, the mundanity of life, just regular yeah. people out there doing their thing. And like, we can't stop watching this stuff. And I, I genuinely don't understand, but at the same time, I'm just as guilty as everybody else. Yeah. I mean, like, I think what pulls me into the Truman show, especially is like how to him, like it's his world that he's living in, but everybody's in on it. Right. Like, so it's him walking around thinking it's reality in real life, but every single person that he interacts with, like every single thing is pre pre thought of and pre-written for him. So like thinking back to when I was 12 or 13, seeing this, it was kind of like a mind blowing moment thinking that, you know, maybe there's someone out there who's kind of living in their own little bubble and everything is kind of on a track for them. It was kind of one of those first moments, I think watching a movie for me that, uh, that blew my mind a little bit. Do you think you had any sort of like existential thoughts about like, am I Truman? And, you know, is oh, I'm sure I did. I mean, I my think, life on a loop. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I think as, you know, a 13 or 14 year old kid going through, you know, the, the emotions of being a teenager, I'm sure I had some uh, walks through the neighborhood thinking that it was, you know, just me living in a bubble out there. Oh, do you think anyone would watch the show based on Dean's life? I mean, at the moment, probably not. It's pretty, yeah. uh, <laughs> If they want to see me walk around the block and push the kids on a tricycle, then by all means, go ahead. Oh, people would be tuning in for Anna for sure. Yeah, maybe. She a scene stealer, but yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I'm I'm interested to to hear that. Like you probably you probably saw this, you know, when you're you're saying they're probably ten 
10 to 12 or, you know, just before high school or whatever. Yep. Um, because like it stars Jim Carrey, who at the time was the biggest movie star we had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm always curious to talk to people on the podcast and like, what movies are they picking? Because I would have assumed if you were going to, if you had told me you were going to pick a Jim Carrey movie from the nineties, I would have just automatically assumed like the mask, dumb and dumber or Ace Ventura, because those are like the big three comedies. Yeah. And so had you watched those, do you like, where do those kind of fall for you in the sort of Jim Carrey pantheon? I'd say in general, I'm not a Jim Carrey fan, like of his comedy side. I find him to be a little bit too ridiculous, I guess. And, and I, like, I know that's his, his whole shtick, but like I've seen The Mask and Ace Ventura, I think at some point. And like, I don't know, they, they just haven't stuck with me, I suppose. But like when I think of Jim Carrey, I think of Truman Show and then the other one, Eternal Sunshine, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so like more his like serious roles that have kind of stuck with me, funnily enough. And this was like, because I obviously I had to look this all up, but like, this is probably his first real serious role. Like he had done things in the eighties where he's not playing a sort of comedian, but he also quote unquote, wasn't Jim Carrey at the time. You know what I mean? Like he hadn't really broken through. And so this was like his first real serious role. And I think he just like knocks it out of the park. Like he is so good. And it is a sort of precursor of, eternal sunshine like where he's even better and like it is just an interesting shift in his career where he makes these three movies in 1994 like they all come out in the same year and then a couple years later he makes the truman show and kind of really doesn't go back to those sort of silly out and out comedies that much like he really changes gear and yeah i was just like i was really really impressed especially on this viewing you know when you're a bit older and sort of understand more of this stuff yeah like when i think of truman show and uh, like jim carrey in it i've always found like the mark of for me enjoying a movie and a, an actor and actress in a movie is like do i think of the person or do i think of the character when i see them yeah, so yeah, yeah. like yeah. in truman show like i i don't think that oh this is jim carrey playing truman like i just think it's truman right Vers- versus in some of his earlier comedies i can't remove that where i just see jim carrey being whatever character that he is in kind of his goofier movies if that's you know a, what i mean yeah that's a good way to to think about it really because he is he still gets you know there's still moments here where it's a bit silly it's a bit goofy but i yeah. found that it's it's not necessarily like him being silly or goofy it's sort of the movie has put him in a situation like has put truman in a situation yeah the um, character that like makes him come off as goofy or silly Right. Um, and so I thought like that, that sort of restraint on his part to not sort of, cause he's a bit of a tornado. Like he, he, he gets onto set and just sort of takes over yeah. and that's what you want him to do in certain movies. But in this one, like it's just that restraint to sort of be like, no, this is a, a regular dude who's grown up in this community. That's, you know, small and tight knit. And he hasn't been exposed to really the, all that much outside influence and so like he's not going to be drawing on all these references uh throughout history and all these you know movie quotes and things like that 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 carrie normally does um yeah so i I was just i i really really enjoyed his performance this time yeah no i like i watched it that was probably the first time i've watched it in full for i don't know maybe four or five years i think i watched it with elise when we started dating a few years well more than a few years back but um 
yeah, it's been a, a number of years since I watched it from start to finish and yeah, enjoyed it just as much as ever. Do you often go back to it sort of every few years or? Yeah, like I, I'd say at this point, like if I watched it a month ago, I might watch it again in three, four, five years, something like that, whenever it uh, comes to mind again and feels a little bit fresh. The thing that the other part of it sort of he, Jim Carrey is obviously the, he's the draw. He's, he's the headline act or whatever. Yeah. But the, the thing that I loved about the movie and, and sort of this goes to Peter Weir, the director, who I think is a bit of an unsung master. Like he just makes so many good movies, but um, is the like larger setting of a sea, sea Haven. That's the town, I think. Yep. That's sea Haven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there are these things about like, this idyllic suburbia but like everything is hollow and once you sort of peek behind that curtain a little bit you see that there's nothing behind the facade and it was just really fun to sort of watch with that in mind and sort of try and see where the seams are uh throughout the movie and so it sort of invites you to do that i find yeah it does like one of my favorite scenes that um covers that is the one moment where Truman's starting to kind of figure out that something's not right. And he was chasing one of the characters through the town and kind of the character gets in the elevator, but it's actually like a break room essentially for the actors. I always thought it was kind of cool. And even like the advertisements that they integrate into the show, I always thought was so clever. Like when I was young and even still just trying to spot in the show, like where they're broadcasting the show 24 seven, what are like the commercials that they're adding to the show for the viewers of it to to catch and there's just things everywhere that you can spot so that's something that i tried to do when i was watching it is try and figure out where all the product placement is in this universe I, that, I, the, that the director put in yeah i, I love that the, there's obviously like very obvious examples where like truman's wife holds up a thing of cocoa and like gives yeah. a 20 20 second ad for this cocoa or whatever but then there there like you're saying there's more subtler ones where truman is you know pushed up against a wall by you know people that he's having conversation with just conveniently enough so that the poster behind him like perfectly displays yeah and it's like oh like they they've really really thought through everything about how not only this world would work but how it would work as a tv show yeah so that you know it can constantly be making money at the same time as you know it's a huge a huge endeavor so i always liked um truman's best friend that he'd go for beers with would always drink the same beer and yeah. in, the, in the movie he'd always like angle it perfectly <laughs> yeah towards the camera so the logo would display like right on the spot so yeah just so many things that i think are so awesome i think there, there's one part too where like i think truman is deep into his freak out and the uh, Mar- marlin is the is the friend and marlin comes over and he he comes in but like he comes in so that the beer is the first thing that comes into shot and oh, so yeah, you're yeah. sort of like, oh, this is going to be Marlin. But at the same time, like, got to get the beer in there. Got to yeah. get that product placement. So and even when he's going in there in the middle of Truman's freak out, I'm pretty sure it's also like the middle of the night and he's coming in unannounced. So I just thought it was funny. It would be like, you know, if I burst into your house at four in the morning unannounced, be like, hey, Kieran, just got a six pack here. You want a beer, buddy? Like, so. <laughs> I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no. Yeah, I mean, so. it might be welcome still. Yeah. <laughs> the I, I did wonder, though, like. I don't know, maybe it's the way that this movie makes you think about things, but especially when um, Truman's wife is like doing these product placement commercials and she's like describing the product to Truman, but it's really describing it to the audience that is watching the show. 
And I do wonder, like, if we do something similar, you know, like when you bring something home to Elise or whatever, and you're sort of like, oh, I just picked up this thing. And then, you know, you give her a rundown of why it's good or important. And I do wonder if we kind of almost maybe do these product placement commercials in our own lives as well. I mean, potentially, like not, (laughs) I don't think to the degree that you see in the movie, but I, I think it depends on how excited I would be about something. Cause I might bring something home, like a new food or whatever to try. And I just be like, just try it. It's good. That's enough. That's enough of yeah. a descriptor. <laughs> right. But you know, if it needs a bit of more of a sell to it, then we might get into a little bit more into detail, but I think it just depends on how excited we are about a particular thing. Not, not Coco though. eh? Yeah. Probably not Coco. Yeah. I was also like watching pretty intently for things like, um, the the sort of obvious man-made signs that this is you know i mean like you you were talking about the elevator and the elevator is is like a very clear like they did not know truman was going to be there and so they they messed up yeah but there's also this world that they have designed you know down to an inch of like if he goes anywhere we need to have our cover our bases covered yeah um and so like i was watching things for like the the forest that he runs into near the end of the movie is like yeah okay we've got a forest but it's also like perfectly planned out in you know very clear rows and all the trees are you know young looking trees and like all this sort of stuff and you're like oh like somebody just went out there and just planted you know yeah put a bunch of trees trees when truman was a baby and now it's grown to this size but it's perfectly planned yeah yeah i liked as well as that, like the few spots in the movie where Truman is going like off the beaten path a little bit. I think they give an example of when he was a kid and he was climbing up like a sand dune at the beach or something. And I think over that dune, the set just wasn't created yet. So he was climbing up the sand dune and they were saying like, Truman, no, get back, get back. And they had to pull him back down just because if he goes over that, there's just nothing there. You, you don't necessarily have to be watching so, so closely for these reveals, but at the same time, it's sort of like that you know, you scratch underneath the surface a little bit and more sort of gets revealed. And so like, I loved when he goes to the hospital and he's clearly never been there before or, or never gotten as far as he eventually does get. Mm-hmm. And Merle, his wife is in surgery and they just have some, you know, crew member on the slab. And they're like, oh, I was going to make a, an incision above the knee because they know Truman's watching them and they have to do a surgery. Yeah. They got to play the part. They got to play the part, but they're obviously not doctors at the same time. And it's like, that's, I find where like a lot of the humor comes out of the movie and that's where it like becomes infinitely rewatchable is, is just getting to these scenes over and over again. Yeah. I I find like, I'm thinking about some of the supporting characters in the movie and like, I love Jim Carrey, the Laura Linney, I think is her name, right. Yeah. That, That plays the wife. Like I liked a lot more in the past, but now I can't separate from the character that she plays in Ozark. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I just refer to her as Wendy because that's just what I know her as at this point from being being the main character's wife in Ozark. And even the uh, the other love interest of Truman's, I just think of the wife from Californication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, whereas Truman, I don't notice as Jim Carrey, like some of the other supporting char- characters, I think were kind of superseded by bigger roles that they've done post Truman show uh I would say so yeah like especially Laura Linney like I'd have to look but I think she was a bit of a you know like character actor throughout the 90s and then yeah 
all of a sudden she started getting these bigger roles like this movie and then you know ozark comes around and it's sort of like oh like you know you're you're really starting to take note of these of these people natasha meckle mecklehone or something i think is i probably just butchered that name but she's she's sylvia um who was on californication which like i actually don't know how popular that show was but like we watched it yeah to you and Um, i it was very popular yeah for for us it was you know (laughs) must see tv so yeah um she would definitely stand out for there but it it is sort of nice yeah to to go back and you know i haven't seen this movie in probably 10 or 15 years and you're sort of like oh yeah 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 like you know laura linney's in this and yeah a lot of familiar faces yeah a lot of familiar faces so I, I think, and I mean, even the director of the Truman Show, like in the Truman Show, the director oh, of the yeah, Truman Show, uh, Christoph. Um, yeah, like he is also the main guy in Westworld. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And Harris, like, yeah, yeah. Um, Truman's best friend, like, has played a few different roles over the years that I've seen him. And like a lot of these characters, I think, have just popped up across so many different movies. So it is nice to see, yeah, some familiar faces, like you said. I think the the thing that I was watching this time maybe because Laura Linney has sort of blown up with Ozark and stuff like that. And she is, she's kind of become that show now, like that she's more or less the main character um, is I was watching her this time and you get these subtle hints throughout the, throughout the movie that like other actors have had things written in their storyline so that they can go away from this show because like the show is a 24 seven sort of all consuming thing. Yeah. And so like there there's some line in there about uh, Marlon Truman's best friend he got pneumonia when he was younger and so he was gone in the hospital for I don't know 6 weeks or whatever and sort of right. like well like he probably just went on vacation you know like you know, like I didn't even notice that that's a good point and, but but with Laura Linney with Laura Linney she's his wife so she obviously can't go anywhere and yeah. so watching her this time I was like oh this is just a person at the end of her rope like she is so burnt out she is so over you know whatever money they're paying her is probably not worth it yeah and she's she is as stuck in this world as truman is except she knows that there's an outside world that she can't get to yeah no i know like when there's a scene where truman is kind of threatening her with i think it's a knife or something right like they're like truman's onto the act a little bit yeah yeah and yeah, like she breaks character a little bit in the show and is kind of shouting for the director to like come in and help and stop it. And yeah, it's, Elise and I were talking about that as we were watching it of like, what does this character do in her, or like, what is her downtime? Like when she goes to work, is that actually when she like goes home and sleeps within this universe or like what, yeah, where is her downtime or is she just in this 24 seven? Well, that, like that would be the thing, right? Because like, obviously, and and the movie shows you this sort of upfront is like, every every person in this universe is on a like essentially a loop this is you yeah know, this is what they do every day this is where they have to be um like truman is also on a loop but obviously he doesn't realize it so like he's more susceptible to breaking it and so yeah people need to be in certain places in case he shows up he obviously still shows up at certain places at certain times where they're not ready for him and that's where you get certain reveals like you're saying with the elevator and so, yeah, like there is, I think if you were to th- sort of think through it, like the Laura Linney character, yeah, she goes to work every day, but like, what's to say Truman doesn't show up at the, you know what I mean? And so like, she kind of needs to be there yeah. on, on standby at least like, 
know what I mean? Like, does she have a family outside of this thing? I don't like, I don't know how you could. Yeah, you would assume not. Like one of the things that I think of with Truman Show especially is that I think there's so much more story that like could be told around this, like around this world. Like when the movie ends and he escapes, like my first thought is like, what the hell is this guy going to do in the outside world? Like the movie ends with him leaving the set, but like what, how is he possibly going to survive and like live any kind of productive life in the normal world after living this like fake structured looping life for however old he is like 30 years or whatever age he is in the show i think it's Um, 30 yeah 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 so like that that's where like i think what i like about tv shows that would expand that story a little bit like it kind of stops in a movie and you get this like glimpse of this person's life and then it's just done and then it's fun to talk about it and speculate oh what could what could have happened but like i i would love to have seen like what he would have done post-show if you could see another like half an hour of that movie a Truman Show too. Yeah, Truman Show too. Why not sequel? I think the the optimist in me is that Sylvia gets to him fairly quickly, and like when Sylvia is is the sort of love interest that maybe that tries to expose Truman to the truth and tries to explain that like this is all fake, and yeah. she gets booted off the show before she gets a chance to do that. And so we see her throughout the movie, and she's clearly a protester about this free Truman movement and the optimistic view is that she gets to him pretty quickly and then like can ease that transition. But like, you're right. Like he's, he's been in this bubble for 30 years and it's been so um, manufactured and controlled as to like what he's exposed to. And so like one of the things that I was reading about is that all the music in the movie that he listens to is all classical music because right. that would have all been free it would have all, all been in um, like public domain yep and, and so like he wouldn't even know about like rock and roll or yeah, yeah. pop or rap you know what i mean like he'd have no understanding of the musical landscape he have no understanding of political anything. stuff yeah. anything like and the challenges so, of like working in a re- in a real workplace yeah, like yeah what like i would say i'm not nearly as optimistic as you (laughs) like i i think like if truman left the truman show he'd either be like admitted to some sort of like psychiatric ward or like dead within a certain amount of time because like how could you possibly handle that transition well i guess i guess the other the other thing to bring up is does truman get paid for being on the truman show is there some sort of trust with money for him somewhere or was all that money going to everywhere else because it is we do see like it is the most popular show on television yeah i assume not like when in the movie when they say he's the first child to be adopted by a corporation i just kind of assumed that he would just be like shit out of luck in terms of money (laughs) that's rough (laughs) yeah (laughs) not great yeah (laughs) there there are many laws in place to to stop that in the real world so yeah you know tough for truman but yeah, I, I I don't know. Like, I think the the interesting thing about the movie, though, like you're bringing up there about what does Truman do next? The interesting thing I I find about the movie is that it actually Truman is our main character, but the movie is more concerned with the people at home watching Truman. Yeah, and so when we end the movie and he escapes, it actually goes to us, the audience, and then we get the last word. We're like, okay sort of now what do we do you know what i mean like and so i i think the the filmmakers are more interested in us the audience than truman and so 
the 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 answer is not sort of what does Truman do next, but it's what do we do next once our favorite show goes off air. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I always liked how they finished the movie with the, um, not the cops. I think they're like parking attendants or something, right? That yeah, yeah. They're watching the the show finish, and you know it it finishes pretty suddenly with Truman leaving, and they have like a couple moments of silence. Then they're basically just like, well let's see what else is on kind of thing. Yeah, like yeah, just move yeah. on pretty fast, like have your moment of mourning and then just move on. And I think that's like, I think that's pretty reflective of how, you know, I think we all treat a lot of our TV, whether it's, you know, like you and I watching sports, like we obviously love watching the Leafs and suffer through that every year and you get so into it and you're so along for the ride and then they lose inevitably. And you have, you know, your few seconds of mourning, then you just got to move on and find what else to yep. check out. So yep. like, I, I feel like they, hit the nail pretty much on the head of even with such like a involved show around this guy's whole life that the second it's over that i think we're all just looking for the next thing to get into exactly and and that's that's what it is so yeah yeah and like and the added thing about like this is a real person like we're watching a real person we're not watching a character on tv and but yet because we're watching through the tv we can't help but to think of them as a character so yeah yeah and, and i mean like yeah I, I think in the movie like if you were to ask the people watching the truman show within the movie if they thought truman was like a legitimate real person i, I think you know the answer would probably be no yeah. you know yeah a and that's how it feels even at home i think if you or i are watching the bachelor or whatever reality show like it's hard to think of these people as like real people that you know, go about their daily lives and go to the grocery store and make food and do whatever it is that they do. Like you just assume that these people exist within the confines of like the island or the mansion or wherever they are on the show, you know? I think, yeah, because it, it is an interesting thing too about like those people on The Bachelor know that they're on The Bachelor. So yes, it's a reality show in terms of like, it's quote unquote unscripted. Yeah. But like they are playing characters because they know it's on TV. And once you know you're being filmed, you naturally do things maybe a little bit different whereas with Truman because he doesn't know you are getting the like unfiltered version of who he actually is and so yeah yeah true it's it's an interesting conversation about sort of how do we see people on tv real or otherwise so yeah mm -hmm. for anyone who hasn't seen the Truman show even though we've spoiled some of it here what, <laughs> what spoiled all of it yeah well you know <laughs> I don't know who, who whoever's listening closely maybe but uh, what are some of the, like maybe a last sort of sales pitch that you would give somebody to sort of say like, this is the movie maybe you should be watching tonight. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's such a good movie to make you think about what, you know, what, what life could be like if, if you were, you, even as, as yourself, if you're walking outside and you think for, think for a few minutes, like what if the whole world was just designed just for you or revolving only around you, what would that look like? So everything being on kind of a loop and that's what Truman is all about so like not not a leaf out of place not anything undesigned or without purpose so I just thought it was a really interesting premise for a movie and really well executed in terms of all the acting and all the everything involved with it there you go couldn't have said it better myself so uh we are going to continue this sort of movie tv hybrid uh in a minute when we come back and we talk about the movie that i recommended to you which was pleasantville so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a minute
there's a place where life is simple. People are perfect. And everything is black and white. Honey, I'm home. It's a place that's as far from reality as we can imagine. How about some marshmallow rice squares? Those are swell. But maybe it's a lot closer than we think. We're in Pleasantville? No! We're supposed to be in school. We're supposed to be in color? All right, so we're back, and we have watched the movie Pleasantville. So the first thing I'm going to challenge you with, Dean, is a plot description of the movie. Okay, so Pleasantville is basically a movie about um, some teenagers from the 90s that are watching a older sitcom. So Pleasantville was this black and white sitcom in this movie based in like the 50s, kind of like good old America. Yeah. 50s, I believe. This like feel good sitcom where nothing can go wrong. It's all like good time stories about the neighbors and the town and all like the the hijinks that they get up to. So Pleasantville is centered around these two teenage brother and sister. The brother who is a big fan of the show and is entering a trivia contest to name all the you know facts and things he knows about Pleasantville to win a thousand bucks and as part of this process he gets sucked into this show I guess literally <laughs> through this magical tv remote that is provided to him and he basically lives life in this 50s Pleasantville show and sitcom with his sister and it's black and white but over the course of the movie color gets added to this this black and white city when any characters are kind of pulled off their script or do things that they're not supposed to so over the course of the movie it kind of becomes about them bringing the town to life and then figuring out you know where do they fit within this this fake slash becoming real town there you go so how did you find pleasantville i liked it it was, it was enjoyable um like i was thinking about you know the name of your podcast is your new favorite movie and i think like for you to give me like a new favorite movie that's a lot to ask like i think if you give me a movie that i watch for two hours and i think like that was pretty good like i liked it like that's a pretty good benchmark to make it to and and we definitely got there with pleasantville so i could yeah, ask, I for, a lot. I could it, ask it was, for more yeah if, yeah, if you're only like, gonna watch a couple movies a year like it better be i one think that, that was the i think that so I think Truman Show was the second movie I watched this year and Pleasantville was the third. Yeah. And I don't know I don't know when or if there will be a fourth and a fifth. We got a lot of months left, but I'm sure there'll be something. Yeah, yeah. Well, as long as it, as long as you enjoyed it because I I sort of messed up with Elise's episode, so I'll have to redeem <laughs> myself there. I could I couldn't go o for 2 with the Labute household. No, you're doing good. I I liked it. It was uh, it was an enjoyable watch. I was a fan. What was the sort of element or elements that you enjoyed the most about it? The way they were shot, like, I guess the cinematography is what you'd probably call it. Yeah. Like yeah. the, I I liked how it was mostly in black and white. Then over the course of the movie, like I said, as characters would do something that was kind of off their script. So these characters from the fifties that were like, you know, the high school basketball team, for example, in this in this movie, they were all like perfect shooting swishes every time, never missed a shot, never lost the game. And as the high school basketball team got to know these two teenagers from the 90s that were pulled into the movie, they kind of got pulled off their script. And as these characters got pulled off the script and they like missed the basket or like lost the game, color would get added to their life. So over the course of the movie, you'd have like a mostly black and white shot, but then start to see like, you know, a green jersey or a red apple or like little bits of color that were gradually added, which I thought was really cool. 
it was like kind of fun to watch as as it went on and your your eyes get used to watching in black and white so that when you start to see color like it kind of feels that much more refreshing yeah in a way to to watch so that that was probably my favorite part is just watching the actual shots on the screen like it is the the black and white in and of itself is already like eye catching and sort of like really really nicely photographed mm-hmm. and then you put in those pops of color like you're saying and everything becomes sort of more vibrant like you know what i mean like a red never looks more red than when it's surrounded by black and white monochrome and so you know you you see that on on a nice tv and it's sort of like wow okay like you know that's really vibrant it reminded me a little bit of um do you remember the episode from master of none aziz and zari where it's like a half an hour an hour episode where it's about this deaf person so the whole or most of the episode i should say is shot without audio and it's all like subtitles and and sign language Uh, i don't remember this one but yeah and then eventually, after like half an hour or 40 minutes, they finally bring the audio back in full, where they change perspective of the character from a deaf person to a non-deaf person. Yeah. And you kind of got the same feeling, where you get used to watching something without audio, so that when it comes back, you're kind of like, holy shit, like that sounds like amazing to your ears when you're used to hearing it. And that's kind of the way I felt after watching something mostly in black and white, then as the color comes in, it just feels so good to look at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, You're talking a, a little bit about like, as things start changing or as the 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 characters in the show because it it is a show like we should say that like pleasant they go into the television show and so everyone in there is a fabrication of character Mm -hmm. um did you think that there was meaning behind the change like what what did you sort of read into the the shift from black and white to slowly into color well i think as different characters would become like colorful for different reasons right like i think some characters became like go from black and white to color, like if they missed their basketball shot, like the basketball team did, or like some of the kids or some of the teenagers, like when they went to, I think it was called Lover's Lane and like hooked up with each other, they would suddenly be in color. Or if like someone swore or like got angry suddenly in color. So like, it was interesting just because the reason that they went to color was different for every like piece of this universe. So it was kind of fun to catch on like what was changing for different people and why. Like I think you could go into a lot of a lot of thought of like what what was driving this change because in the movie it's it's the main character that's kind of the last person to change over from from black and white when he's pulled in yeah to color at the end when he, I think he defends his mom in a fight or something like that so um, yeah like I, I think most of the characters I kind of thought like as they did something that was just out of character or like kind of wrong for them they'd get pulled into color. Yeah, I think the the big thing is like it's just general change, right? So like yeah. as soon as they do something that is different for them, that's when this the transitions start happening. And so like you're you're saying they're like certain characters go and have sex at Lover's Lane and then they become colorful except for Reese Witherspoon's character who Yeah, who just has sex all the time. Has has already had yeah. sex and has so like it's not different for her. So she stays black and white until she reads a book late like she yeah <laughs> foregoes she foregoes she having sex with somebody one page of the book yeah to read a book and so <laughs> that's when she gets the change and she becomes colorful again and yeah, yeah. toby mcguire's whole thing um because like you were saying at the beginning he's a huge fan of this show and this is his favorite show and he watches every episode and all that sort of stuff and when they first get sucked in 
he's very conscious about keeping everything exactly the same on script yeah. yeah on script keep everything the same don't introduce anything new uh because he sees pleasantville as kind of perfect as this perfect ideal um, yeah and it, it's only once he realizes as the course of the movie happens that this isn't perfect and he has to do something and that's when he you know gets in this fight to to defend his mom and it's that realization that oh this this isn't perfect there is you know, a hollowness or, or a fakeness um, underneath the surface here, that that's when he finally gets his change as well. And that's when he, I think that's when he clues in as to how can I sort of accelerate this with everybody else? Because then we obviously get the, the courtroom scenes where he just knows exactly yeah, he's kind what of playing to, into it. Yeah, yeah, he knows exactly what to say to certain characters so that they can also transition um, and become colorful. And, and yeah, it, it was... It's a it's a really really sort of inventive and eye catching use of cinematography and and sort of just to keep you drawn into the movie. I find. Yeah, I really liked it, especially towards the end when I think like almost everything was in color except for Toby Maguire's character Bud. Bud was his name, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a name! Um, yeah, great great American name, Bud. Bud and Mary Sue. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I I thought especially at the end when you'd see this full colorful scene and just Tobey Maguire in black and white it was really cool. Like a, to think of how they shot that and made it look so good. I don't know. You might know, but I don't. Uh, yeah. Like I would, I would assume that there's, there's obviously some like desaturization going on there. There, there's certain shots, um, especially in the courtroom where all of the townspeople who are still black and white are on the lower level of the courtroom and everyone who's, colored is up above um and so i i kind of would like to think and maybe i'll look into it eventually that like they just built a set that the lower half of the set is all monochrome and the right. upper half of the set is all colorful because that would be awesome like if they actually took the time to to put that in um, yeah that would be great but yeah I, I i i just find that like it's really interesting that there's a whole lot of like biblical imagery in the movie that is also pops of color but at the same time oh, like the the burning bush yeah but but at yeah. the same time like it never comes after anything sinful like you know what i mean like normally we'd think of of sort of biblical imagery as like you know the the burning bush and then there there must have been a sinful act or something like that i don't know but it always comes after a positive act like you know sort of sex positive and something happens or you know things like that and so I was just, I was really, really sort of happy to see that it's, you know, it's, it's progressive. Yeah, no, I, I liked it. One of my favorite scenes too, that I'm just remembering now is um, when Bud's mom turns to color because she has like hooked up with this cafe shop guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so like in the movie, it's kind of like a, a giveaway between like the townspeople who are left in black and white that want everything left the same way it always has been versus the people who become colorful that want to be off script. This mom kind of gets caught in the middle where she's with her husband who is in black and white, really traditional guy, but she has become colorful because she's hooked up with this cafe owner. But she applies like black and white makeup oh, yeah. to like hide herself, which I yeah. thought was really cool. And especially as I think she like sheds a tear or cries a little bit and it kind of wipes away the makeup as it goes down her cheek. So you can see that black and white with a little bit of a streak of color as it goes, I thought was so cool. It is, yeah, like it is um, 
a fairly like lighthearted movie overall i would say like there's a lot of sort of comedy in there and stuff like that especially when bud and um mary sue are like explaining huckleberry finn to you know what i mean like there, there are these light moments these like you know nice moments or whatever and then there are a few really really touching moments like that and then it gets really serious mm-hmm. and i wondered like how did you find the sort of transition from this lighthearted comedy into this like very very serious like you know there's racial tensions there's riots there's a whole lot of stuff going on sort of in the last 30 35 minutes of the movie yeah it got dark pretty fast eh? like yeah (laughs) the the end did have a lot going on with yeah like book burning and the riots and like fires and windows smashing and like you name it and for like i i thought it was fine like i thought it was kind of a bit like on the nose of like it felt like it was trying to hit like too many like too many like issues of like comparing book burning to like you know what we saw like world war ii and like racial tensions further on and like every like it was hitting so many different things where it felt a little bit too like on the nose for me at some times but it it was a good finish and as the movie finished and bud eventually gets to go back to the real world what i thought was most interesting and it did kind of break the movie a little bit for me was that the sister just decides to stay yes and and not just that but that no one no one cared no one asked or like yeah she just stayed in the show. Meanwhile, her brother goes back to the real world and her brother gets back to the real world and says, hey, what's up to his mom? Meanwhile, mom is not like at any point, hey, where's your sister? Yeah. Like she, she's just gone in this other world forever. So um, <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of a funny way to end the movie because it, like I enjoyed the two hours or however long it was, but the end did kind of like pull me out just a little bit because I was like, how is this girl just staying in this show? And like no one in her real world cares or has wondered where has she possibly gone? It is. I have a note here that says like fucked up ending and it's, yeah, it is pretty <laughs> fucked up. Once you start to like go down the rabbit hole of what this all means um, in the movie, it's, it's sort of played off as this like nice decision that she ends up making to be like, Oh, I, I you know, we see her at the beginning of the movie and, and, she's like a popular high school girl and you know all that sort of stuff and then she's like making this decision to stay in you know the confines of Pleasantville or whatever because she enjoys it more than the comforts of 1990s America or whatever and it's sort of like okay I understand that the movie thinks that this is fun and nice but the ramifications for this are really really dark yeah (laughs) yeah that's exactly how I felt and even like with her staying in the show of Pleasantville, I think they said like she went to university or something, right? Yeah. And yeah. earlier on in the movie, they say like pretty clearly in one of the classroom scenes that Pleasantville is literally like two streets. It's like Pleasant Road and like whatever the main street, like it's a T. Yeah. And that like there is no world outside of that. So like I was confused that like just because the characters broke character, did that suddenly create like this whole universe that they could travel in? Because I just assumed that. They broke character, but they were still stuck within like what the writers wrote Pleasantville as. Yeah. Right. So like kind of it like the the believability started to fall apart a little bit for me just in the last like five minutes of that movie, just because they made it so like out there uh, of having the sister stay and live there. I hear you. I hear you. It's not necessarily something that I thought about at the moment, but like, I wonder if it's along the lines of like you know they were probably characters written off the show for whatever reason like they they moved away or whatever yeah um and 
so I wonder if that was sort of like she's just being written off the show. Like we show like Pleasantville isn't being currently aired, so like there's no new episodes, mm-hmm. and so like that also then factors in. Well, like what new experiences can these people possibly have? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not an ongoing series. So yeah, like I, I I I hear you on that, and it is sort of a little mind boggling once you start to think about all the things that you know the questions that this brings up from just her deciding to stay in the tv show but i think i think movies like that you kind of have to treat the same way as like a time travel type movie like there's always going to be questions and you just have to kind of like shut it off and you know take it for what it is because otherwise you could just ask your question ask yourself questions all day long and nothing will make sense if you think about it too much so i feel like that's after how i have to approach it the one thing i didn't mention that i liked and thought funny was about the move about the movie was when the wife has left the husband <laughs> when do you remember the scene where he came home and all he wanted was his dinner yeah like his wife had made him dinner for however many years in the, in this movie and he just opens the door and he's like honey where's my dinner yeah where's my dinner where's my dinner where is my dinner <laughs> just so concerned about getting food on the table well, so, I, I love the extension part of that scene where he then goes to the bowling alley and all the guys are around and th- he's like, yeah, I came home and I said, honey, I'm home. And there was nobody there and there was no dinner. And everyone's like, oh, there's no dinner. <laughs> and uh, I love the, the reveal of the one guy who shows his shirt and there's the iron stain on the shirt from his. Oh, wife. yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, like, her messing well, up why the did you wear that shirt then, man? Like you have another shirt, I'm sure. But yeah, there, there's a lot of that sort of stuff with with the with the the male characters of Pleasantville where I did want to ask like do you think that the movie actually works better now than it did possibly in the 90s like we we weren't old enough to sort of have any idea of how it worked in the 90s but watching it this time I was like wow there are a lot of politicians who we hear about every day who would love to make their countries quote unquote more pleasant yeah. Um, and I was like, I think this movie really has a lasting, timeless legacy because of what's happening in the real world. Yeah. I mean, I think the more time goes on, the more like things like that'll be pronounced of like how silly and dated it is of having like the man come home and just have, expect dinner, expect their shirt to be ironed or whatever. So, yeah, I, I agree. Like as time goes on, like I think that'll just become more noticeable. That said, when I go back to work, I will come home and ask for my dinner every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that's for Elisa's made her bed. So <laughs> the uh I did I did laugh. There is one part sort of early on in the movie where things are slowly starting to change and people are starting to become aware of of differences and Bud walks into he works at like a malt shop or like a like a burger place or whatever. Yep. And he walks in and there's a whole group of teenagers and they're all listening to Dave Brubeck jazz music. And I was like, oh, there's no turning back for the, this group. Like, you know, they're, they're a lost cause at this point. They, <laughs> they've started listening to jazz music. They've opened up the door. That's it. Um, last question I got for you, Dean, is Pleasantville is about two people being sucked into a TV show. For one of them, it's their favorite show. For for the other, she, I don't really think gives a shit about it. But I was curious as to if you could pick a TV show to be sucked into, what show would you pick and why? Oh gosh. When when you asked me this earlier, I thought you were like meant sucked into like as in get interested in, not like oh. literally sucked into like Pleasantville. Um so I hadn't thought of that. All right, I'll give you one. Go for it. What do you got? 
All right. So if I had to get sucked into a show, I mean, it would be like as a fly on the wall or as like a background character. Like, I, as you know, I watched The Sopranos okay. over the last couple of years. And I just think that would have been such like an interesting, obviously an interesting family and dynamic to be part of. Like, if you could just be part of the crew, not necessarily that like I like embrace or idolize what they're doing, but like just to live the lifestyle that they had on on the side just for a moment and see what kind of hijinks they got into outside of what you see on the show yeah would have been interesting like i always wanted to know with sopranos beyond what you see on tv like what was their actual day-to-day life like for like tony soprano beyond just like going to the strip club and going right. to do like whatever dealings like what do you do at like 3 p.m on a tuesday kind of thing so just to be part of that universe i thought again was another show that was like so constructed and like it's this huge huge story so there's so much there that you could be part of as like this extra person in the cast as part of the family on the outskirts so i like to think that i would have been you know maybe a voice of reason amongst all these people oh to, would, to would steer you, them in the right direction yeah you would have tried to subtly influence tony and and maybe junior and stuff i'm sure i would have tried but i i feel like i probably would have got killed pretty fast if i did that too <laughs> so <laughs> I think the what I what I was thinking about this. I think the like the obvious easy 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 answer is to be like a judge on a cooking show because right. you just get to eat good food all day. For myself, you know, maybe this speaks to the shows that we enjoy watching. But my immediate thought was Succession because I was like, oh nice, these, these people live extremely privileged and comfortable lives, and I was like, and hey, you know what? There's a very real possibility that if I just stayed quiet, I could eventually be the CEO. Like things would yeah, just you could fall be like, into my lap. You could be like cousin Greg, but like, oh, uh, yeah. you know, oh, third yeah. cousin Kieran kind of thing. That was my, like my whole goal was to be like, <laughs> you know, just be the quiet guy in the corner. And eventually, you know, things will be so chaotic that I could just climb that ladder. So, and especially yeah. in succession, like the characters are so ignorant generally of how privileged they are that you could just join the show, live a life of extreme privilege and be as a as a person in this show be like ignorant to the fact of how privileged you are you know? oh yeah so oh, like i think it would be fucking so cushy like there's that whole season where they're just on a yacht the entire season yeah that looks <laughs> pretty, get, that you looks get pretty right. sunburnt I'd, I'd hate to see your skin after that season uh, that's true actually i didn't think about that maybe, maybe i'll just stay in, stay in stay in the in the huge apartment buildings but I, th- I think yeah succession would be pretty comfortable so yeah i mean it like now that i'm thinking about some more too like more lighthearted shows i think back to like childhood shows like recess if you ever watched recess oh yeah 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 great show That's if you could live it's too political <laughs> king bob um <laughs> i could be one of his henchmen maybe but i could live a life of just permanent recess what about what about something like peppa pig i'm sure you're watching a lot of peppa pig these days oh uh, no no peppa pig i know I, I mean we are watching a ton of peppa pig but i couldn't be sucked into that show it's just that universe is does not need to be any bigger than it is it's plenty okay. big all right <laughs> well uh is there any any last thing you wanted to say about pleasantville uh i mean I, I thought it was a good movie it was fun to watch i think like you said I, I think like as time goes on and as the movie ages like it'll just continue to be more like uh more relevant i guess is the word i'm looking for of how it depicts like people who are living life in like more of a modern way with them doing the things they want to do versus being like stuck in this scripted like 50s americana lifestyle that pleasantville depicts so 
no, it was a good movie. I enjoyed watching it. Um, I was happy to spend the time to do it. And like I said, like I watched so few movies and I know you and I have talked about this in the past where I don't really know why, because like once we're done this, I'll probably watch like three episodes of, of like a 50 minute show, you know, and I, I could watch a movie, but it somehow just feels like in a waste of time to watch a single movie versus watching three longer form shows. Which uh, you're, you're talking about Better Call Saul, are you nearly done or? No, I'm kind of in the middle of it. Like that's a show that I tried to get into a number of times over the years and it just never clicked for me for whatever reason. And finally I started it just maybe a month ago now and uh, it just is is kind of right for me at this point and I'm really liking it. So about halfway and I'm sure I'll be done it in no time probably. If, if I can't get you to watch movies, at least, you know, these sort of quote unquote prestige TV shows are, you know, they're a good middle ground. They tend to be anyways. So I, I go in fits and spurts with movies like you. I remember talking to you last year when Elise and I went on a big Tom Hanks kick. I think we watched about like 12 Tom Hanks movies in, in two weeks. And we get on these these sprees of we'll watch a bunch of movies and we'll make promises to ourselves that like we're movie people now. <laughs> like we're going to do it this time and get caught up on these movies and then it just falls apart how, how does it the like politics of that work in in your house like is it some nights you get to choose what's on the tv and some nights elise gets to choose or is it sort of just a, a general consensus this is the show that we're watching right now so we'll both sit down and watch it or i would say for the most part it's consensus we do have two tvs so that solves the problem a lot of the time if there's really a disagreement of what to watch when it comes to movies, often we'll have to spend a fair amount of time going through Netflix or Crave or one of the streaming platforms to find something that we're both into. But yeah, like we, we try at some point just to like, okay, let's just like pick something and like it's just a movie to watch here and, and get it on and deal with it. So there's um, too much out there right now. I know, like it, it's it's hard. Like I miss in some ways the days of cable where like you just see your Friday night movie come on and it just is what it is. And you yeah. have like two things to pick from for that night that you're going to watch or you're not, or like going to blockbuster or whatever and picking something out that is on the shelf versus, you know, literally thousands of things that you could pick from. Well, Dean, thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, talking movies, at least, you know, movies about TV. So it was, uh, it was probably hopefully an easy, an easy topic for you to, to talk about. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on and, you know, thank you to everyone out there for listening to new favorite movie. I will be back next week with another guest, another movie, another recommendation. So I will see everybody next week.